0: You're watching online. What's what's conscience? Maybe you could, don't look it up. Don't look it up. Get rid of the screen. Don't let them see that. Don't, don't let them see that yet. Don't let them see that. Get rid of the screen. Sorry. Come on. What's conscience? Somebody, somebody write it in the comments. What do you think? How would you describe conscience? Well, a conscience is what? Just just begin to give some definitions. Begin to put some things on YouTube, Facebook. Give give us some interaction here. What is conscience? That's my first question. I want to give you a a chance to just type out a sentence or two. What, What is conscience? It's kind of one of those terms that we hear all the time, but what is it? What is conscience? My second question is, in your opinion, does everyone have a conscience? Does every single person have a conscience? In that one, you can just say yes or no. So give the definition of conscience. And then, does everyone have a conscience? Here are some of the ways that it's described and some ways that I like. And now you can show that slide. Our team does a great job up there. It's the inner voice that warns us that someone may be looking. Conscience is what hurts when everything else feels so good. Conscience doesn't always keep you from doing wrong, but it keeps you from enjoying it. I kind of like that one. A conscience is something that God has placed in every person, in my opinion at least. We are all born with a conscience, with a sense of what right and wrong are. It's like a fire alarm or a smoke alarm with a, it, 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 or a carbon monoxide detector. You know, it's just there, but then when, you know, you, you ever have a, a fire a fire a smoke detector or a carbon monoxide detector go off? My kids sometimes like to push the button, and we just greatly enjoy that as parents. We, we love when the kids push the button to the carbon monoxide detector, and it makes a high-pitched, shrilling, loud Beeping noise three times over and over. It's so much fun. If you don't have one, you should get one, and then have your kids push it because it's just a grand, grand time. Um, somebody's watching online that doesn't know me, and they're going, "Is he being serious right now?" A conscience goes like that. It's uh, something comes, you know, and the little bit of danger coming. How's that? Is that annoying Sunday morning in your living room? How loud is that? I hope hope that it's hope that it's loud and wakes you, wakes you up. But one of the signs of the last day is that people will ignore their conscience. First Timothy four one and two says. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last days, some will turn away from the true faith that will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. I don't want to be a part of that. That didn't sound good. These people are hypocrites and liars. And what? Their consciences are dead. My Lord, I I don't want to be a part of any of that. Hey, go back to verse 1. Look at that. Verse 1 says, yeah, hey, last days, this is what's going to happen. These people are going to leave. They're going to follow the the teachings that come from demons. Yeah, no no interest in that. But what else? It, It goes on and says, yeah, hey, one of the other things about those people, they have no conscience. Their conscience, it didn't say they were born without a conscience. It says their consciences are dead, meaning they were alive at one time and now are no longer alive. I don't want my conscience to die. I don't want my conscience to be unresponsive. But here's the thing, if I ignore it too long, my conscience will die. And that's why this morning I want to speak on this topic. Don't let your conscience die. Don't let your conscience die. Lord, I love you and I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, to be here in this place and speaking. To people that I know I can't see their face, but I know the, the message is still the same. It's powerful because your word is powerful and you're powerful, Jesus. And so, God, I just pray that as this word goes into every device, through every device, through every platform, no matter what someone is using right now, that this would accomplish your word. Your word would accomplish that which it pleases. Your word tells us, the scripture tells us your word does that. And so, God, even in these times, let your word accomplish that which it desires. But, Lord, in order to do that, our hearts and minds have to be prepared. So help every viewer, every listener, Lord, right now to be receptive to your word in Jesus' name. The Bible tells us a story of a man whose conscience died. He was known as King Herod. He had one of the greatest personal counselors that humanity has ever seen, a man by the name of John who has come known now as John the Baptist. John the Baptist regularly came to see King Herod. But King Herod, his, Herod's, his life began to unravel. There, Just to be clear, there are a number of Herods in the Bible... And the first was Herod the Great, and these are not the same people. Herod the Great, he was the one that, you know, we, you might know the story, possibly he had three wise men go search for Jesus. And oh, I saw a star, and these I want to worship him. Yeah, right, that wasn't going to happen. He wanted to kill Jesus. Uh, but he wasn't known as Herod the Great because he was wonderful in benevolence and donated to charities and served at soup kitchens. He, that's not why King Herod was known as Herod the great he was known because he rebuilt the jewish temple which was many years in the making he had a built a fortress on the side of a mountain called masada and 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 so <clears throat> I'm, I'm just proud I went to Israel. I tried to sneak, sneak down. When I was at Masada. I got to stand at Masada and look at the platform. And I keep plugging this because at some point, our church is going to take a refuge church Israel trip. And so if I talk about it for like a decade, by the time we roll around to doing it, you're going to be like, man, I got to see this too. This guy's been talking about this for 10 years. And so, but he was known for his, also for his paranoia, his wickedness and having members That first King Herod literally had members of his own family executed so that they wouldn't take his throne. Herod the Great was a wicked man, but then he had a son named Herod Antipas. And clearly the apple didn't fall far from the tree because Herod Antipas, he was also wicked. Historians tell us he was cruel, scheming, indecisive, and utterly Immoral. He had a conscience that was in the process of dying, and here's the thing that's interesting about a conscience, is sometimes how quickly our conscience dies is really corresponding with what our parents will allow in the home that we become used to. So I'm speaking to parents right now that what you allow into your house really affects The conscience of your children, because what you allow, it becomes normal, and they grow up with what's normal, and if what's normal is sinful, then as they get older, conscience dies just a little bit faster. We see that with Herod. Antipas. John the Baptist was everything that Herod Antipas was not. While Herod was unsure and torn and proud and worried about the opinions of others, John was sure and humble and concerned only with the opinion of God. John was a man of immense moral courage while Herod, he was a spineless coward. When John the Baptist emerged on the scene, Israel hadn't heard from God for 400 years. I mean, there hadn't there had never been a long that long of a time where there wasn't a word from God. There hadn't been a single miracle in 400 years, not an angelic appearance, not no one person speaking for God. It was just icy stone cold silence from God. Then seemingly out of nowhere, this guy comes with Looking crazy, eating wild locusts and honey, and he just shows up. But wherever this guy went, crowds followed him. It it would be like his following is almost like a modern-day rock star or movie star. I mean, everywhere this guy went, just crowds gathered around. Some because they loved him, some because they thought he was nuts and wanted to see the show. But John was the greatest prophet who ever lived. Yes, I just said that. There's a lot of great prophets out there. Jesus wasn't a prophet, he was God manifest in flesh, so he doesn't count, but he was the greatest prophet. I didn't say that, Jesus did. Matthew 11, 11, he said, very I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there's no no one greater than John the Baptist. He's the one that paved the way for, for me, Jesus basically. he He paved the way, he was my forerunner. He was the one that paved the way for Christ's message, and John had an amazing place in history. And Herod, Antipas, he actually respected John. Scripture tells us this. Mark 6, For Herod respected John. How do you like that? I just said he respected John. I mean, they're crystal clear. He respected John. Knowing he was good and holy, man, he, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he had to listen to him. That's a a mouthful right there. That probably is the crux of everything I'm preaching right now. So I'm going to read that again. Herod respected John. And knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected John. But Herod, every time John came and talked to him, Herod felt something deep within his spirit. Why? Because when the person of God speaks the word of God and you're living in sin you should feel something inside of you that makes you uncomfortable. So he's disturbed every time that this crazy guy comes and speaks to him Something in him's going, ugh, I don't feel good inside. I don't like this, but yet I feel something enough to know I respect this guy. I want, to re- I want to protect him. But yet the things he is saying, it doesn't align with my way of life. And although Herod liked John, his wife Herodias hated John. Herod and Herodias had a bizarre relationship. While Herodias was still married to Herod's brother, Philip, Herod seduces her and takes her as wife. That's his sister-in-law. But even crazier, it gets worse, Herodias was also the daughter of Herod's half-brother. I know you're trying to process that, so let me just break it down. He married his niece, And he stole his wife's, his brother's wife. So John confronts Herod. Because he's not afraid of anything. And he says, dude, you're messed up. What in the world are you doing taking your brother's wife? She's your niece. You're sick. What's wrong with you? Herod. I respect you. Man, I'm disturbed in my spirit when you talk to me. But yet I know that you're speaking something that I can feel is more than just words. And so they have this bizarre relationship. John John says, you're messed up. Well, Herodias doesn't like being the subject of the message. Because when the preacher preaches and you hear yourself in the message, you either say, my Lord, I got to do something about it, or you get angry with the preacher. And so she says, I don't like being the topic of the message. He's talking about me, and I don't like it, but John didn't care. You know, if he had a public relations team, they would have said, you need to relax a little more. You got to flower the words up. You don't really want to preach that. He didn't. He didn't care. God gave me go I'm going to tell him, hey, you're messed up. When you get down to it, John the Baptist was Herod's truest friend because he told him the truth. If you had a friend, if you got a friend that tells you the truth, hang on to that friend. Man, if you got a friend that that you know you're 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 wearing crazy colors together and they're like yeah that looks looks nice yeah that looks nice yeah and 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 you know you're spend your money extravagantly acting crazy you don't save money and they're like oh that's good that's fun yeah go enjoy life like and they just always just approve of everything you do find new friends like we don't want to just surround ourselves with you know when you know what, who who surrounds themselves with people just to approve of everything they do people who are insecure because they just wanted to hear everybody. Strong organizations are built around diversity. Not just diversity. I think there should be a cultural diversity, gender diversity, but there should also be diversity of opinion. And so, you know, Herod, everybody else is probably, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Herod, yes. John comes and be like, man, you're messed up. John, Herod respected that. We need more people like John, men and women who are willing to, to simply tell the truth. We need them everywhere. We need them in culture, pulpits, politics. We need pe- people who tell the truth. John, John told Herod the truth. And it cost him. Look at Mark six twenty one. Herodias's chance finally came. She hated John. She hated him. On Herod's birthday, he gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, leading citizens of Galilee. And his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. In that day, no doubt that this was a group of males with power, and she pleases the men in the room. I know children are watching. Let's not get graphic. This was... Probably not like a real clean dance, probably. And so she pleases his guests greatly, and he says, ask me for anything you like. This is his daughter, by the way. The guy was sick and weird. And the king said to the girl, you ask me anything, and I'll give it to you. And he even vowed, whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked Mama, Mom, what should I ask for? This is exciting. He asked for half. I could ask. We can ask for half the kingdom. Her mother had a real quick answer. She knew. She was plotting this. She said, yeah, I I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. The head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. The king deeply regretted what he had said. Why? Because even though I didn't align my life, man, every time he talked, I just, my spirit, I felt something. Reminds me of when Paul addresses Agrippa, and he says, ah, almost thou persuadest me. Because when an anointed man or woman of God speak truth, that's why you feel what you feel. The king deeply regretted what he said, but because he made vows in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in prison. And I know if you got children watching, I'm sorry, but sometimes this world, some of these people were very sinful people back then. John was a good guy, a man of God. But the soldier beheaded him and brought his head on a tray, gave it to the girl who gave it to her mother. John's ministry and boldness eventually cost him his head. But why in the world would Herod allow such a terrible thing to happen to a man he respected and had protected to this point? Even in all his insecurity, that was his real friend in the world that told him the truth. I think two things prompted him to do such a thing. Number one is sexual lust. Because of that dance. Number two. Was his desire to impress other people. People make irrational decisions when they're driven by lust. A husband will walk away from his faithful wife and his loving children. Because he says he's having a midlife crisis. Wives walking out of their husbands and abandoning their children. Because they're under the control of lust. Lust is powerful. That's why it must not be fed. But you must starve it. But Herod was also concerned about impressing others. 14.9 says the king regretted what he did, but because he was in front of his guests, he had to save face in his mind. Instead of rescinding what he had just said, hey guys, I'm not doing this. No, I know, I don't care what you say about me. This is the man of God. He's a preacher, he's a prophet. I ain't doing this. Now, I'm sorry if you guys lose respect. That's one thing I ain't willing to do. I'm sorry. He does it. So get this. John was a man who kept his conscience and lost his head. Herod was a man who took John's head but lost his conscience. How does conscience die? It starts with small things, and this is where we... We really apply, how does, I mean, like you read that story. Man, that's messed up. Why would he do that? That's crazy. But how does conscience die in in, in your life? You're sitting or standing or watching this. Maybe you're saying, kids, come on, quiet down. Maybe you made the kids leave the room because the pastor started talking about people losing heads. Okay, I apologize for that, but this is a story in the Bible. So no matter what you're doing, you might be listening later, watching live. You're sitting there and you're listening to words and what does your conscience look like? Is your conscience still alive? Is it still alive and well? Is it still, is when, when the preacher preaches, does something still inside you go, man, I just feel a little bit uncomfortable? When is the last time you heard a message that moved you to Repentance. When's the last time that you heard something that said, my God, I got to get closer to you. I don't want to just keep staying where I am. God, I want to know you more, God. I don't want to live in sin, Jesus. When's the last time that that happened? When's the last time that you did something, listened to something, watched something, partook in something, that you got done and said, oh God, I don't, I don't feel good. I, 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 Lord, forgive me for what I just did, watched, listened to, war, places I went, whatever it is. Because how does conscience die? It's, it dies little by little. Conscience doesn't die overnight. It starts with small things that invariably become larger things. It's enjoying the pleasure of sin for a season and refusing to repent. And with each time that we make a decision like that, each time we do that, another piece of conscience dies. Each time that we sit through a message where God sends a prophet, whether it's through song, your pastor, your preacher, whatever, evangelist, whoever it is, that God sends someone who preaches the word and looks you in the eye, and you say, oh, my Lord, he's preaching to me, or she's preaching to me, or she's speaking to me, or he's speaking to me. And we can say, well, uh, they must know my business, can call me out over the pulpit, and I disagree with that. No preacher should ever call anybody out over a pulpit publicly, unless, I mean, God speaks directly and tells me to do that I have never done that because I will always go to that person in private But when God starts speaking things that you know he's speaking to you, it's not time to get mad. Well, John, I hate you. I can't stand you. Maybe it's time to say, well, my Lord, maybe I'm living outside the will of God that he sends somebody. And thank God he loves me enough that he sends a man or woman with a message that in my life and gives me a chance to do something about it. Instead, we can say, "No, that name crazy. It's not." You know. So, with each time we make a decision like that, another piece of conscience dies. And instead of repenting, we start to justify our decisions. We make up categories in our mind of really bad. Not that bad. So-so, it's not that big of a deal. Well, that's a good thing. And then somehow, like, in our minds, we justify things with categories that we created. And so we say things. I I just, I never read in Scripture about there's what's right and what's kind of right and what's so-so. It's not that bad of a thing. And that's, that's kind of a bad thing, and that's really bad. I don't really read about these levels that somehow we've created to ease our conscience. Like King James, King James puts it like this. It says, sear our conscience like an iron. Somehow we get ourselves to forget what it felt like the first time we made that bad choice. how bad and how painful it was the first time that we let god down you know there's a difference between condemnation and conviction because condemnation puts all the focus on you you're never going to be good enough you're never going to be loved you're never and so you always leave and and so this is not a church where you leave constantly feeling i'm never going to be good enough i'm never going because it's never about us. It's about our response to his grace. But just because he died in Calvary doesn't just mean that he paid the price and you can do whatever you want. He paid a price to deliver us and to set us free so we don't have to keep living in sin. But the focus is on what he did, not what I did. It's just my response in obedience to his grace. Con- th- conviction, That's what conviction is. Conviction says... Here's where you're at. Conviction says, God's drawn us closer. Conviction says, I know you're there right now, but conviction is, come closer to me. Watch what I, I want to change because that about your life is not where I want you. I want to see that change and I'm going to help you change it. Conviction puts focus on God. Condemnation puts focus on us. The minute we begin to ignore conscience and justify actions. That is the beginning of a slow fade, where conscience begins to die. The minute that we begin to ignore the conscience and justify, well, oh, that's so bad. It's so bad. It's a little bit. It's not that. It's just so-so. It's not a big deal. If we create these categories to ease our conscience, little by little, it starts to die. And when conscience dies, hear me, you end up doing things that were at one time unimaginable. When conscience dies, Paul was concerned. He said, I don't want to preach to everyone else, and I myself be a castaway. Take heed that you stand lest you fall. He was concerned about this. You're like, man, you're the apostle, Paul. Are you kidding me? But he knows that spiritual giants, they fall hard. And so what he did is he said, I got to make sure that I don't preach to everyone else and somehow I myself lose it. That's why you've probably all heard stories about preachers, pastors failing, falling, making mistakes. They're human beings, and I'm not justifying their actions, but I'm saying we must all safeguard ourselves. It doesn't matter if you've preached to the masses and you're the most greatest known pastor, evangelist, if you're a TV ministry of millions of people, it does not matter. We have to be careful lest we are preaching and we ourselves are cast away. Why? Because the minute that we start to let things in and we don't take care of it, and it takes root in our the heart, then conscience is seared like an iron when it just begins to die. And when that happens, you ever look at someone, how in the world did that happen? How did you fall that far? It didn't happen overnight. It happened with a decision that no one in the world knew about your spouse, children, not anybody in the church, not your pastor, no one knew about that decision, but you let something in and ignored the conscience and didn't grab the problem by the root. You ever have weeds in your yard? You just walk up. My kids sometimes try to help me pick weeds, but I try and teach them, you got to pull it up by the root, because otherwise you just grab the weed and, man, it looks good, we all know what happens. man. give that thing two days, that thing's right back up. Because you've got to grab that, that thing way out by the rope Get that out of there. And there's too many things that I think sometimes we, we let root, take root in our heart. Nobody knows about it. Looks good on the surface. But I didn't take care of it. I didn't repent. I didn't get it out. My conscience died just a little bit. And so the next time, it was a little bit easier to do something else. Oh, how do you fall that far? One little decision at a time. To the point where conscience of voice goes from going, you got it. The carbon monoxide, the fire alarm, the smoke alarm. To all of a
1: sudden.
0: Heard the alarm so many times that we actually don't even realize when it's beeping anymore. Could you imagine that loud, high, shrill pitched alarm in your house? Ever being able to sleep with that? What? Man, my kids press the carbon monoxide detector. I sleep through a lot, but I don't think I'd sleep through that going off constantly. At least not at first. But give me some time with it till it becomes second nature to me and I probably could sleep through that alarm. And that's what begins to happen with conscience. The alarm changes. We start to, with each passage. you know, Ted Bundy, the murderer, said one time in, in interview with Dr. Dobson that, how did all this start? And he said, it started by me watching pornography. If you don't know who he is, one of the most vile criminals in American history. How does conscience die? It dies with each passing decision to ignore it. Herod Never thought he would take the head of his friend, John the Baptist. He sat through too many convicting messages from his preacher, though. He never thought he was going to take his head. That was not in the plans. But he sat through too many convicting messages from his preacher without ever changing. I feel something. My conscience is disturbed. something about this guy. Whenever he preaches, oh, something happens, but not enough to get me to do anything about it. And so instead, his conscience died, and he let himself do some things he never thought he would do. He regretted it. The saddest part is John the Baptist is gone and Jesus is arrested. Sent to a mock trial. And Luke 23, 7 it says the Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was actually under Herod's jurisdiction, jurisdiction. And Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. He was delighted because Jesus was famous. People were, wow. Maybe maybe he was so excited because Jesus reminded him of someone. My Lord, do you think about that? Maybe he was so excited because I got to meet this guy, the same following, some of the same people. He preaches some of the same things. He reminds me of that guy that used to be my friend, but I'm, ugh. And I'm delighted to meet Jesus and, and because he heard about him and, and he asked Jesus question after question, maybe like he used to ask John. But Jesus refused to answer. What? As I close this message... When we ignore our conscience for so long that we stop caring, we not only do things that we never thought we would have done, but we also cut off the voice of the Lord in our own lives. Your conscience can get so far gone That it gets to the point where you're unable even to communicate with Jesus. Because you've just ignored it forever. I'm thankful for God's grace. But if you're hearing this message and you're already getting nervous. What if God stopped talking to me? What if I've already lost it? (laughs) Just the fact you're hearing this message. Shows. You're not too far gone yet, at least not yet. This is another one of those messages from someone in the role of John the Baptist that is saying, repent. That was the first message after 400 years of silence. John the Baptist steps on the scene and his first words are "Repent." If you've been silent, God, he's been silent in my life. I haven't felt him. I haven't heard his voice. It's just been so long. Oh. The first word that I have for you today is repent. 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 Conscience, right now, there's an alarm in your house. Beep. 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 It's Beeping. And and so right now, I'm just saying, don't let your conscience die. Don't let, if there's things in your life, maybe nobody knows about them. You better grab those things by the root, and you better get them things out right now, because those things might seem like they're small things. It's not that big of a deal, And you've created a category so you can rest well at night. But God is sending the preacher to come into your home and to say, what you're doing is not right. It's not the will of God for your life. And I'm here because I'm here to tell you the truth. And the truth will make you free. And so if you will grab that by the root, don't let the conscience die. Don't let the alarm go from loud, high-pitched shrilling, wake you out of your sleep, call you to action to becoming just a,
1: a distant
0: to where it can get to the point where you're so accustomed to it that you can actually sleep with the carbon monoxide detector going off. Don't let your conscience die. Where is your conscience? What's in your life right now? You might be the only person in the world who knows what's in your heart and what's in your mind. But if you do not take care of it right now, I'm telling you something little by little can begin to die to the point where you say, Jesus, Jesus, oh I got questions for you. Jesus, I want to come into your presence. Jesus, and Jesus just sits there and he says, "I I sent you prophets. I sent you you sat through message after message and used and, and and, and all these different things you never did and who do you think John was? I sent him. So at this point I have nothing left to say to you because I already said all of it and you didn't do anything with it. And so I'm wondering if you can make your home an altar right now. If you can just bow to a knee and just maybe put your hands over your head and just begin to talk to God. Maybe you're not ready to tell anybody else about it, and that's fine. If you want to tell someone, tell someone that you trust. If you need to talk to a pastor, I'm here. But you can, I'm just saying, if you don't want to tell anybody, at least begin to just close yourself off and begin to confess to God. God, you know what I did. You know what I watched. You know the text that I said. You know what I listened to. You know what I partook in. You know what I put in my body. God, you know it. God, I need forgiveness right now. God, somehow I thought I could get away with that. I thought I'd be able to sleep at night, and I have been sleeping at night. But Lord, you just sent a preacher into my home to tell me, what are you doing? You gotta do something about it. And my conscience is seared, and something in my heart saying, my God, I gotta do something. Please don't be silent right now. Jesus, please don't be silent, Lord. Oh, God, can Continue to speak to me, Lord. Help me to find a place of repentance today, Jesus. Oh, just begin to pray right now. Just begin to raise your voice. This service is done. But the altar call, the response is not done. Listen, make your home an altar. Just begin to raise your voice. Begin to pray. Begin to cry out to God. Begin to say, Lord, examine my heart. Examine my mind. Jesus, cleanse me. Purge me. Let me be like David when he said, in me a clean heart. Renew a spirit within me. Forsake not me, oh God. Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Oh God, I need you right now. Lord, thank you for sending a voice today. Thank you for sending a preacher, God, who called to me and said, it's time to make it right. It's time to find a place of repentance. I don't want to look backward and say, I can't believe I fell this far. I can't believe I've fallen this I can't believe I lost it all. I can't believe, Lord, that I traded it in everything that you had given me for this moment of sin and pleasure god forgive me cleanse me purge me wash me jesus help me god to get that up by the root and get it out of my life i pray jesus
1: It's to work